Welcome to the Sermon B-Side Podcast, a podcast of Liberty Church in the Harrisburg region of Central Pennsylvania. Sermon B-Side is designed to be a resource to answer your questions and to go deeper into the conversation started by each week's sermon. Good morning and welcome to another episode of the Liberty B-Side Podcast. I'm your host, Jenna Wright, and today... I'm not joined by Matt Leloyan. I'm joined by a really unfamiliar person to me, uh, my husband, hello, Anthony hello. Wright. Anthony, welcome back to the B-Side Podcast. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling pretty good. I'm feeling, yeah, yesterday was a really great day going through and looking at this passage. Uh, also spent time with some friends in Hagerstown yesterday, so we're both a bit tired. But we here are. we are in the Monday morning doing the podcast. Trying to trying to push through a little bit. We have a lot of questions, a lot of ground to get through, but trying to keep this succinct this morning to preserve our own brains and uh, your listeners' ears today. So Yeah, and if they know us, we know that we're very short-winded. Completely short We never short-winded. get caught in conversations. We never linger in any event or any event space. We've never been accused of any of those things. Uh, we Never debate in our kitchen as we're cooking dinner. None of those things. But nonetheless, we are the the B-Side B-Side team once again here for the Liberty B-Side podcast. At so, least three people have turned this off already. That is true. Anyway, regardless, Anthony, yesterday yeah. you uh, tackled an enormous chunk of scripture. Yeah, Exodus 19 and 20, a huge staple. Another big marker in the, the nation of Israel's history. Uh, where we find ourselves at the foot of Mount Sinai. There's a lot of cool effects, uh, a lot of smoke, a lot of slightly disappointed that we didn't have a fog machine yesterday to set the ambiance of this sermon. And then, of course, we have the giving of the Ten Commandments. Uh, Huge passage, no small sauce here. So why don't you give uh, the listeners, uh, the people, a little bit of a summary of what you covered yesterday in your sermon? Perfect. Yeah, and like real, real small passage. This for a TV show. Real a minimal effects budget on this one. Not a lot going on. Of course, I'm being sarcastic. It was huge and bombastic and incredible. Um, so really, the emphasis of the whole sermon was that uh, the giving of the commandment and the giving of the the giving of the covenant and the giving of the Ten Commandments. The giving of the covenant and the Ten Commandments, which really frame this whole text as Israel just comes out from Egypt. Uh, and now they've come to meet their God. And that's the that was really what I wanted to capture is they probably didn't have an incredibly crystallized idea of who this God was. Mm-hmm. They've heard about him. They knew it was God of their forefathers. It seems like they had some idea of the promise he made to Abraham yeah. of this land. Uh, but they spent their life in captivity in Egypt along with their dad and mom and their grandparents and far back for hundreds of years. So... They were probably still wondering who this God even was. And then here they meet him on this mountain. And it's incredibly impactful for them and for us as we read this. And God makes an appearance in a huge way. Hmm. Um, And so really we framed it up with those two things of covenant and commandments. And first was just the covenants. This is where God gives the Mosaic covenant, which is a fancy way to say the covenant through Moses to the people of Israel. And says, if you obey my voice, if you obey my words... You will be my treasured possession, mm-hmm. his holy priesthood. And so Israel gives a big th- uh, thumbs up there, and they say, yes, we, we want to do that. And then they spend some time consecrating themselves, and then they go before this mountain, stand before it as God descends on it in smoke and fire and lightning and 
uh, this incredibly evocative scene and image that the text paints for us. Yeah. Um, and I and he gives the Ten Commandments. And I said in the sermon, we didn't have a lot of time to get into the content of those commandments. Mm-hmm. There's a ton there. But we looked at them as a mirror and a message. Uh, so the mirror, these commandments reflect the moral character of God. They tell us a lot about who he is. And when we're met with that, that tells us a lot about who we are. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. One, we mirror God's image as his creation. Mm-hmm. But also, as we learn about what God expects of us, we learn about the ways that we tend to not live up to those or not do those or we pulled in other directions. Uh, so it reveals God character and exposes our own mm-hmm. as that quote from, um, oh my goodness, I forget his name. He's very famous. R.C. Sproul. Thank you. As R.C. Sproul says. And then uh, the message is out of liberty. And so we got this idea that the, in the giving of the commandments here, there is freedom and there is liberty. There is liberty as the nation of Israel is this free people. Mm-hmm. And immediately we were forced to wrestle with how do these two things work? How can they be a free people who are just giving commandments to live by by God? Mm-hmm. And, and we batted that around a little bit in the sermon and talked about freedom being restoration. So freedom is not just doing whatever we want to do when we want to do it. But Christian freedom, freedom of the gospel, is being restored to our original purpose of mm. being God's presence and light in the world. Yeah. And acting as, as, as his emissary in, in the world around us. Um, so go proclaim the liberty throughout the land. That was like the big punchline. So, yeah, that was my long elevator pitch. Yeah. So this elevator went a couple floors up. Yeah. Maybe a couple extra floors, but that's okay. Uh, and 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 kind of like with that though, I, I think that that's a really good observational handhold to say, let's pull back and realize and understand that Moses had really intimately convened with God, mm-hmm. but Israel had not yet. And right. so, what does that look like for not just Moses as their mediator to actually convene with God, but what does it look like for this people of Israel to be chosen by God and then go from that point on and living in obedience to who that God is and what it means to reflect Him to the rest of the world? Exactly. Uh, which is really cool and like not small at all. And it is, I think you said yesterday, hugely significant for the rest of the story of Exodus, but hugely significant for the rest of the story of redemption. Exactly. Uh, yeah. as as we think about even ourselves, what it means to be the covenant people of God. And we'll get there a little bit more in a second. But let's start a little bit really quickly. So there's so many weird observational things that's going on in this text, right? You mentioned the smoke and the the mountain and fire and trumpets. And where were the trumpets? I don't know. Where did those things come from? I know. I'm always uh, good for, I always want a good brass section. So I'm really glad that appeared in this text. Jordan, uh, we're looking at you, brother. Uh, we, we want a little brass action for, yeah. uh, for the Advent season. Yeah. Uh, all jokes aside, here uh, we do have a listener question that's an observational one. We have, we have two observational questions that I want to look at. So the first one is this. What is the significance of the third new moon in Exodus 19.1? Is there symbolism or context communicated through the moon cycle here? Uh, What are your thoughts there, Anthony? Yeah. um, So contrary to popular opinion, third new moon is not a new Twilight book. So I'm going to put that uh, rumor to rest right now. Uh, that's not what's happening And that here. reference does not hit for anyone over 40 at this point, Anthony. I think it does. This is a multi-layered podcast. Um, so really, that was a way to understand time and when this was happening, one in the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and just a, it, it helps to create kind of a timeline of the events of the Exodus up to this point. So that's why it's noted in the text. Uh, there's no like theological significance here, yeah. uh, but there is significance for... 
um, the, the nation of Israel in marking the timeline and when these events were happening. Yeah, and this was also something that coincides with the Feast of Weeks or mm-hmm. the, the Pentecost, uh, what we've re- repurposed in the Christian calendar. So this is still a marker, by the way, that we still utilize even now and even think through and how we structure our liturgy and all the things that we do throughout the, the years at church as well. Yeah, and it's not just like this in scripture, like these small details where I'm like, yeah, it makes total sense that they would that God would descend on a mountain and they would mark about the time the date that happened. Yeah, that makes a, a lot of sense. And I think we do that in our own lives too. We can remember those specific time markers of our lives that have huge significance to ourselves and our development. Right, like our anniversary. Like that's a huge day for us. It's also the password for many things I have. Wow. Uh, Please don't steal our identities, everyone. Uh, On a side note, second observational question. This is actually kind of my question uh, to show my cards a little bit. But you mentioned the fact that uh, Mount Sinai and the the place where Moses encountered the burning bush is likely the same mountain and that that blew your mind. It did. So why did that blow your mind, and why do you think that that is important to think through or highlight uh, or maybe even encouraging? Why, why does that matter for us now as Christians today? Well, I, I just do think it's one of those narrative things that as we read the text of Scripture, it makes it come more alive as we get this image of the small little burning bush. I don't know how little it was. burning bush that Moses went to yep. and, and where he met with God there. Um, and this holy place, even like Moses had to remove his shoes mm-hmm. because God's like, you walk on holy ground. And he was communing with God there. Got this call of God to go rescue the people of Israel, which at that moment, to all parties involved except God, seemed crazy. Mm-hmm. Like even to the Israelites. Yeah. When they heard this message, they were like, what? Pharaoh was like, what? Moses was like, what? Um, but now, now here we are. A couple chapters later, we've seen God work in extraordinary ways. And now this, what was once a burning bush, is now consuming this whole mountain. Mm-hmm. And instead of this small little patch of land being the holy ground, it was now the entirety of the mountain. Mm-hmm. And so we, this is just such a wonderful picture of the fulfillment of God's promise. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. he, he told Moses to do this, that it would happen, and then paved that way all along. Yeah. And was working in incredible ways to ensure this would happen. And now here we are, kind of the culmination of it. Yeah. And so I'm reminded of just reading through that and getting that image and just realizing that Moses, when he kind of saw this mountain maybe crest in in the horizon, what mm-hmm. that would have felt like at that moment. Because when he was walking away from that mountain the first time, mm-hmm. I can't imagine the weight that was on his shoulders. And then coming back, seeing that mountain and just realizing the incredible goodness of God in that moment and how he had provided along the way is one it just sticks out to me is a really cool observation from the text but also it's just a as I live my own life I have moments of despair or doubt just to remember the goodness of God's promise and that he will come through I also think there's a an enormous mountain-sized kindness of God in this observational reality that is saying, like, man, I revealed myself directly to Moses through a bush, yeah. and I am now lighting up a mountain to show to the whole people that yeah. I am their God. I'm not just Moses' God. I'm your God. I'm your forefather's God. And even though they're not able at this point, because they have not been mediated by Jesus to ascend the mountain, as right. you talked about at the end of your sermon, there is this immense kindness of God to say, 
man, I am here and I am in your presence. Mm -hmm. And he's going to continue to work out that analogy through the rest of the Old Testament and even more significantly in the coming of Jesus, who's the God-man that dwells in tabernacles among us, which is awesome and really, really cool. Um, And if you guys can't tell that we're Bible nerds yet, um, welcome to the show. Uh, But Anthony specifically, I love your ability to look at biblical imagery and understand the significance and the grandeur of what God is doing in his kindness in these details that he's revealing to us. And I think that's a a good exercise of us that read the Bible and read it, want to read it well in a way that's meaningful and helpful to communicate to others. So I, I appreciate your ability to do that. Thank you. Um, so why don't we move on a little bit quickly. So away from more observational stuff toward, uh, your first point was on covenant. Mm -hmm. You talked about God actually taking the nation of Israel for himself, that they would be his people. They would be their God, that they keep his commandments, that they obey what he has given them. He would make them a holy nation, a royal priesthood, all of these things. Um, and our first questioner has a question, you know, how are we supposed to understand God's heart for Israel mm-hmm. as his covenant people? But you also said we as his church are mm-hmm. his covenant people yep, in the new covenant. Mm-hmm. And so how are we meant to understand God's like significant heart for Israel here as his covenant people, our role as his covenant people in the church, and then like the new covenant? What, how are we supposed to think about all of that? Yeah, this is a huge question. This is a massive question, and honestly, throughout church history, this question's been a hot topic of discussion. Yeah. And I'm even sure people, probably even in our church, but in greater evangelicalism and Protestantism, have differences of opinion mm-hmm. of how this shakes out and how this relationship looks. Right. Um, and so the best way that I think to address this is, one— Israel is clearly God's covenant people in this passage especially. Mm. I think that's pretty – most people will will agree to that. It then becomes a question of like, okay, what about kind of Israel now in the church? Mm. How does that relationship look? And I like to answer these kind of questions the best I can with Scripture. Yeah. And so if you're, if you're sitting down, I would encourage you to open your Bible to Romans 8. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're driving, maybe not. <laughs> you can listen to Romans 8. You can 8. listen. So just real quick, you're not going to spend a whole lot. This is this can roll into a whole other podcast, whole other sermon if we wanted to. Um, but Paul is writing here the book of Romans to the church at Rome as an Israelite, like as someone who is descended yeah. from these very people. And he says this, They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. Okay. Very important. Huge. Huge. To them belong the patriarchs and... From their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Mm-hmm. And so he's saying, okay, Israel had a prominent role to play in these huge acts of redemption throughout history, even bringing forth the Messiah. Like, yeah. massive, incredible. And But then he says this, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. All right, Paul. What do you mean here? And then he says, For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. Well, okay, Paul, what are you saying? But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. There is quote in the Old Testament. And you're like, okay, what is Paul getting at? And I think he sums up here in verse 8 pretty well. This means that. I love when Paul says this means that. So it's kind of like, all right, I'm going to get to the nitty gritty here. 
that it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are Mm -hmm. also counted as offspring. Mm -hmm. And so what Paul is getting at here is that we as a New Testament church, because of Jesus, are the covenant people of God. And as the Old Testament covenant people of God, we are like the fulfilled promise of that. Mm-hmm. So the big word that I want to put all this under is fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Um, so some people discuss whether or not God still has a special place in his heart for the nation of Israel. Yeah. That's a hard question. Really hard question. Um, I don't know if we have to have a clear yes or no on that. Obviously, God loves all people who bear his image. Yeah. Like, that is true. God loves his creation. Um and I'm not really comfortable giving a hard yes or no even yeah. answer. And, I mean, I think what is clear is the nation of Israel is God's covenant people. As long as they're doing what is said right. here in Exodus, as they're obeying his laws, keeping his commands, doing what they said, uh, do, like actually living in accordance to the way that God has actually designed for us to live, I think is what you said yesterday. Yeah. They are maintaining that covenant end of their right. side of things. They have a unique role in redemptive history. For yeah, sure. That's clear. Clear. Yeah. Um, another thing here, too, is that all these Old Testament covenants, had, they had, like, this had an end. Yeah. This was supposed to have an end, and that end was Jesus. And yeah. that end was the fulfillment of that. Yeah. Um, so, Rome, uh, going, going back to Hebrews, I quoted Hebrews at nauseum yesterday because it's beautiful. And honestly, you can read, Rome, uh, read Hebrews 8 through 12, mm-hmm. and this kind of spells this out in really helpful, beautiful detail. But he says, in speaking of the new covenant, that is this new covenant in Jesus, he makes the first one obsolete. Mm. That is Romans 8.13. Because Christ fulfills it. And so now the church is this royal priesthood. It is the people of God. It's a fulfillment of all these covenant promises. Um, And the nation of Israel, the current nation of Israel, we would not say is the ethnic covenant people of God like, like they were here. Yeah. Yeah, and that, this is a huge, enormous question mm-hmm. that, again, I, I agree with you. Christians, faithful Christians, have disagreed about this conversation for as long as the church has been instituted. Yeah. And so the, the thing that I would maybe caution is in your Bible studies is maybe don't let this discussion clog and keep you from being able to have discussion about the rest of the context of this sermon and applying this text to your life. Because right. we can get so caught up here right. in this discussion that, man, you can get really lost. And I, I think I agree with you. And I think even Paul would agree with you in Romans 8. Like He's saying all these things that came first through Israel, but then is pointing to the fact that the through the lineage came Christ and ultimately hope for salvation. Right. For the Jew or the Greek, the slave, the free, the male, the female, right. as we, we talk about also in Paul in, in the New Testament, is Christ and Christ alone. Right. And that is true, whether you're ethnically Jewish, part of the lineage of Abraham, or you're a Gentile that has been grafted into God's covenant people. Right. Uh, and that that we know for sure. And there is some mystery here. Yeah. Uh, and I wouldn't get so caught up in the middle of this discussion to kind of distract you from right. from the content and the, the goodness of that. Yeah, and if you do want to talk about it more, do it under the banner of fulfillment. Like how the New mm-hmm. Testament fulfills these things. I think that's a really helpful way to go with that if yeah. you want to discuss it more. And also, no, we just did a flyer over there. Yeah. I mean, there has been countless books and uh, thinkers who really delve into these issues. And it's, it's a worthy topic of study. But, yeah, caution against getting stuck there. Yeah. So maybe 
taking this just a step further, we also have a questioner that's asking specifically, what does it mean to be a kingdom of priests? Uh, so what does that look like? Holy nation, kingdom of priests. What What is being God at there here in Exodus? And like, how is that being carried into the New Testament? Too? Yeah, it's a really great question because this idea of kingdom of priests, I think I've I think this is the only real usage of that in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. It's not a common term. And then Peter picks it right up talking yep. about the church. And so um, the, big, the big idea here is that if we read the words around it to help us understand what, what is being communicated, because mm-hmm. he didn't just say you're a kingdom of priests. He also says a royal nation, a treasured possession. Mm-hmm. So these all are rotating around the same core idea. Yeah. And that is that they would have they were the people God had selected to carry his message to the world, to mm-hmm. be the people where his presence was. They yeah. were set apart for his service. Yeah. So that was the idea. Mm-hmm. And Israel probably would have had an understanding of kind of priest and cultic worship uh, yep. in ancient Near Eastern uh, religions or even in Egypt. Yeah. They would understand the idea of a priest and they would have understood that, okay, this is a person who the gods have chosen for service. Yeah. And what what Moses, what God is communicating through Moses here is, no, I'm choosing you as a nation for my service, yeah. to be my people, my treasured possession. Uh, so that is really the idea. Now, because people are probably thinking this and ask this question internally right now, which is great. There were priests in the nation of Israel as well. Mm-hmm. They haven't been established quite yet. They're about to be, yeah. um, but not quite yet. Um, and so there were priests from the tribe from the tribe of Levi. Who were tasked with sacrificial, yeah. the, sac- the management of the sacrificial system in yep. Israel. They would bring the goats and the bulls and everything to be sacrificed um, to God, and um, which is which is a part of the story. It's a part of the narrative of yeah. Israel, but yeah. that's not what really Peter's getting at when he pulls this nope. image back in, uh, in in his letter. Yeah, instead. We see clearly, again in Hebrews, but also throughout the New Testament, that that sacrificial system was fulfilled in Christ. Yep. He was the once-for-all sacrifice. Which means there has to be more significance even here to what they're saying in Exodus. Right. Yeah. So we're not pulling in that so much view of priest as the one who makes these sacrifices. That has been fulfilled by Jesus, the ultimate, uh, the ultimate mediator. But instead... We are people selected for God's service, right. and we live ourselves as now, this is again New Testament, as living sacrifices for God yeah. under his good service. Yeah, we're, we're both sacrifices, but also the priesthood of all believers. So right. we're carrying on what is being instituted here in, in Exodus, but that we are setting ourselves apart as the people of God to mediate his presence and reflect it back to the rest of the earth. We're, we're, we, in of ourselves, are kind of a mirror, in a sense, as exactly. partakers of, of God's goodness and kindness and grace, as those who to have the, the Spirit of God living in us, dwelling in us, helping us to actually keep his law, keep his commands. In so doing, we, in, in partaking in that, are then mirroring that back to the rest of the world. And that is really the significance of that mediation of a people of God reflecting who God is to the rest of the world. Exactly. And so, like, real practically, and we say this all the time at Liberty, as you live in your neighborhoods, as you go to your job, as you go to your schools, as you go to wherever you go, the, the grocery store, so the most normal thing you do with your day, you are God's presence there. Yeah. Don't underestimate that. Hmm. 
Yeah, and, and that's really helpful to maybe even drill into that in your Bible studies. Are you neglecting spaces that are your everyday spaces where you're not like actually taking this responsibility of being the priesthood of, of God's revealed character and his law and his kindness and the good ways he's designed for us to live? And are, are you missing out on some, some joy and ability to actually continue carrying out this promise, this fulfillment that's given and entrusted us through the work of Christ? Yeah. Um, and if you're not, that's okay. Yeah. But man, like bat that around. Where are those places in mm. your lives that, that you could actually really step into that a little bit further? Yeah. Um, and Matt kind of touched on this last week, but I think that's a good reminder to continue asking ourselves, hold ourselves accountable to. I mean, that's all over this book. It is. It is. Uh, so maybe switching gears just a little bit, but maybe in the same vein, you know, speaking specifically the fact that we do this for Bible studies, we do have a questioner asking, what are some specific ways that we can renew and remind ourselves of this covenant mm. that Christ has made with us? So I can think of generic answers like praying, attending church, reading your Bible, participating in community, but those things don't always flow to my heart. Mm. They're in my head, but not my heart. Yeah. Um, so what, what are some helpful thoughts or maybe even like a paradigm for our Bible studies to think about in this vein this week? Yeah. Great, great question. And let me just say it on the front end, continue to do all those things. Keep praying, keep attending church, keep reading your Bible. These are our rhythms of grace, which are helpful. Mm -hmm. um, but I would also challenge you, as you do these things, maybe inject those pre-existing rhythms with some new vocabulary or some new objects. So for praying, mm. pray that God like continually reminds you and makes you aware that you are his presence. You are his covenant people and what that means. That, mm. that is a, Maybe pray that for the next two weeks. Pray that for the next week. Um, actively make that a part of your, your prayer life and see how God works through that. Hmm. Also, as you read your Bible, having this perspective, which is like knowing the scriptures, one cohesive story of God's redemption arc. So you read this old Testament narrative of God creating this covenant people of Israel, right? And then you see them fail this over and over and over and over again. Yep, that's all the, the while old Testament. Exactly. All the while you get these little glimmers. Hmm. Where God says in Ezekiel and in Jeremiah and Isaiah, where he says, one day yeah. there will be a new covenant. Hmm. One day I will write the law of God's heart on my people. And you're like, now we're that. Now we're the fulfillment of that. Yep. And so it gives you a really helpful lens to read the Bible. And whenever I encounter some of those passages, I don't think, wow, I'm so much better than all these people. I'm not. I'm suspect to the exact same sin patterns but i'm like what a joy it is to have the holy spirit working in me because of christ mm. sealed by his spirit a part of this this kingdom and so yeah um use this framework as a, as another tool in your bible reading as well mm. i think that's a really big way to make it affect your heart and also and i said yesterday um and it was just as much of a caution to myself as anyone else in the room we take communion every week, and we celebrate this exact thing, this new covenant, mm -hmm. every week at communion. And yeah. so often, I cannot tell you the myriad of thoughts and distractions that go through my mind and I'm, as I'm in that line, walking up to the table, how crumbly the bread's going to be today. Am I feeling juice? Am I feeling wine? Let me just caution and, and really ask, as we go through that motion each week, like, are we actively reflecting on what we're doing and what it means? Mm. Um, and I'm often not. And so yeah. let me just put that challenge out there. 
to just take that extra thoughtful moment and reflect on what we're even doing and what this bread and um, wine communicate. Yeah, and I would say the same thing for when you're praying, yeah. when you're attending church, when you're reading Bible study, when you're participating in, in community in general. Like, obviously, huge significance in the table. But are we stepping back to understand, man, like, we can't just do these things out of, like, road obedience. Mm -hmm. But, man, we constantly need to be conformed and reminded of the gospel to actually come back to these things and be transformed by them and actually be changed by them and not just doing them. Right. You know, like we there there's an interplay there that is delicate. And we that exercise to say man, like, what are we doing here? What yeah. is the purpose? Asking God to reinvigorate those purposes. Yeah, and so often I find, and through the work of the Spirit, nothing of my own, like, when I'm mindfulness with my obedience, I worship. Mm. It feels more worshipful. Mm. Mindfulness plus obedience fuels a better worship. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, I think and that's... obviously, obedience is worship. I'm not trying to Yeah, yeah. All... I don't want to draw unnecessary distinctions, but no, we, but we also don't want to yeah. bridge into legalism or self-righteousness in, in our obedience. We we need the, com the confirming work and the power of the Holy Spirit to be driving this, and it, it's helpful to remind ourselves, reorient ourselves to those exactly. things. Exactly, and that mindfulness mixed with obedience helps it kind of plunge deeper into my heart. Right. Okay. Yeah. And I think that's helpful. So uh, maybe speeding up a little bit here, let's move into your second point on commands. Yep. So you talked about uh, God's law being a mirror and a message. Yep. So in this mirror section, we have a question that is following up on this suggestion, which I don't actually don't think this is a suggestion, that God's character is seen in his commandments. That's not questioned in any of church history. That yeah. This is God's character revealed yeah. through the, the law that he is given here. It might be helpful if you describe each one of the Ten Commandments, what each one of the Ten Commandments reveal about God. Yeah. First, when I hear this question, what I'm hearing is, guys, these podcasts aren't long enough. <laughs> yeah. If they're, if you're not hitting two hours, what you doing? Yeah. And um, Or sermons, I guess. Yeah. Um, but no, I, that's a great question. And that, there's so much meat on that bone. Yep. I mean, we can talk about that for a long time. And so I gave a couple quick hitter examples in the sermon yesterday, um, but even commandment number one, like the Lord is a jealous God. Mm -hmm. So we learn that he's a jealous God. Yeah, it says that in the text right after it gives the law. Yeah. Right. He values the worship of his people. Mm -hmm. We learn that he alone is worthy of worship. We learn that there is nothing greater or more powerful. This text doesn't leave us asking, well, who's the most powerful being yeah. in the universe? It's like, it's me. Yeah. He's worthy of full worship. He is more awesome than anything we can imagine. Right. And our worship should reflect that. And so we can spend a lot of time camping out on that first commandment and talk at length about this communicates God is sovereign. Mm -hmm. God is ultimate. Um, God demands worship. God is a jealous God. God doesn't like us worshiping other things. And we can continue to go through that. You can spend a lot of time on each of these commandments. Um, but also, I don't want to spend too much time on this podcast working through all ten. Yeah. So I think I would challenge you guys in your groups to do this exercise. Yeah. To work through these Ten Commandments, whether in smaller groups or whether in larger ones, and see what this communicates about God. Right. Look deeply into that mirror. Yeah. And I, I think it's helpful to zoom out for a second and say, okay, let's look at the structure of the Ten really quickly and realize there's an intentional structure even to the commandments to 
help us know something about the character of God. Like we don't have to just zoom in onto one to see God's character. What we see here is in these like first four commandments, we see a right orientation to God, right? Right worship to God. How do we do that? What does that look like? A right view of God. And then in the following, we see right orientation to people, right? Mm. This, this idea of loving God, right worship of God always leads to right relationship and reconciliation and good, healthy, designed relationship with others. Um, And that is the structure of the Ten Commandments. So even in that, we see something about God's character. We see something about him. And I would even say when Jesus actually is reflecting on the Ten Commandments in the New Testament in Luke 10, 27, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with your soul and with all your strength, which by the way, that is an Old Testament Jewish refrain called the Shema. Mm-hmm. You'll love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul, and your strength. And he adds this, and you will love your neighbor as yourself. And that is the summary of all of this law. And this is the summary of these Ten Commandments as we see them in that structure. And man, like that is hugely significant. So we don't even have to zoom in that far down to even understand like the, the basis of God's law is to rightly worship him and know mm-hmm. who he is, and then to rightly live in subject to that in the presence of others. Yeah. In our own families, in we, we care about their physical bodies, but we also care about their possessions because God is the dispenser of all of those things. Yeah. He's sovereign over all of those things. And I think that's a... A really helpful framing point to actually yeah. even just thinking about the structure of the Ten Commandments and then spending more time in your Bible studies, maybe looking at the specific heart of God in yeah. each command. Yeah. Uh, if that's if that's helpful yeah. uh, to you. But again, that, that can take up a lot of time. Yeah, and I do love this question. Because yeah, it's I a think great there's question. There's so much here. Yeah, and, and if you're looking for a good resource in actually diving deeper into each one of the Ten Commandments, I want to plug my girl Jen Wilkins. She wrote a book on this called Ten Words to Live By. If you want to dig a little bit deeper into each one of the Ten Commandments and what their significance is, uh, what's being communicated in Exodus, and why that matters for us as New Testament, New Covenant believers, man, pick up that book. I, I recommend my girl Jen uh, mm-hmm. all day. Uh, and I bought it for Anthony for sermon prep this week. So mm-hmm. you're welcome. Um, yeah, I think that wraps that up. So let's move on maybe to kind of more like the message section. Cause yeah. you, you, you basically talked about how ultimately this is intended to be a reflection. Israel, as they receive the law, are meant to submit to this law and then reflect the, re- the, that message of who God is to the rest of the world, right? That yep. this is, this becomes their battle cry, right? Yes. This, the outflow of that. And you toyed around with this question of what is biblical freedom? Yes, yeah. And so one of our listeners uh, kind of tuned into that and said, what would you say then, Anthony, to someone who says that God's law feels confining and like a trap, that Christians are rule followers and they take the f- all of the fun out of life? Yeah. How would you respond to that? Well, that's a, that's a great question. It's also, first, an, also an enormous question. Yeah, I would say, one, if, if you think Christians take all the fun out of life, you've never been to a liberty party. <laughs> so that's number one. <laughs> two. What parties are you going to? No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Um, two, I would say that one of the reasons that I 
even discuss this because this is a tension I've deeply wrestled with. Hmm. And so as I even was reading this passage, I was like, if we don't talk about this, it kind of feels like God is pulling the rug out from these from the nation of Israel saying, you are free. Here's rules. Yeah. Um, but, and I would approach this question differently based off if I'm talking to a Christian or a non-Christian. Right. But also to preface everything, what I want to first ensure as we speak of God's law is feeling confined or like a trap is make sure we have a clear understanding of what God is actually commanding hmm. and not hanging um, preferences, opinions, cultural norms on people's necks and calling it God, God's commands. Right. Let's not be Pharisees. Let's not be Pharisees. And apply God's law. Right. Exactly. Where it's not helpful. Exactly. Or required. Right. And so I want to be really careful of that. Um, God does require a lot from us. And hmm. so I think we're... It's really unhelpful if we add to that. Right. Um, so one, I would say it's be clear-eyed and think deeply and read Scripture deeply to understand what those commands are. Hmm. Then if if you're talking to a Christian, I would really challenge and say the New Testament and Scripture as a whole teaches that we're going to be a slave to something. Right. We're going to be a slave to sin or righteousness. Right. Um, and encourage them to see that ways of living outside of God's commands are just slavery to sin. Hmm. And as you look at the end of those things, the conclusions, the conclusions, like where they lead you. Yeah. It's not to a good place. Yeah. And you see that play out in the world around this time and time and time again, even a life of some Christians who hold on to sin patterns, it mm-hmm. just leads to personal and communal, uh, destruction, destruction mm-hmm. and consequences. And so just look, don't just look for the moment. That's where sin is deceptive. It, it convinces you to value a moment over the effects and yourself over others and yourself before God. And so if you're living and you're, and the thought process is, this is good for me, mm. this is good for right now, that will lead to destruction. Yeah. Um, so I'll really encourage a scripture. I'll really encourage a Christian as they feel this way. And I found myself doing this. I, I'm, Often, like peeking over the fence. Yeah. Man, these lost people seem like they're having a lot of fun living in ways that are blatantly yeah. God has commanded me not to live. Right. But to see their end. Yeah. Like the psalmist says this, like perceive the end of that. Yeah. What is it? It's a slippery place. It is destruction. Yeah. Um, so that's how I think I will respond to a Christian mm-hmm. and to myself because I wrestle this consistently. Yeah. Uh, and to a non-Christian. Hmm. Because I've had this conversation with non-Christians yeah. a, a good bit. Like, why are you doing that? You shouldn't do that. That sounds lame. Yeah. You know? Yeah, for sure. And I think for them, it is, it is it's some of the same conversation. Uh, it is part, like, what you're proclaiming as freedom, what you're proclaiming as good, you yourself have expressed that, that this has brought you pain. Hmm. Um, and also, I would <clears throat> encourage them just to give Jesus a try. Hmm. And that might sound crazy, but just encourage them to come to, to be a part of some way of a Christian community, hmm. uh, to just put one foot in the door of faith in Christ and just to see what that's like. Right. To experience the goodness of the Lord in some small facet yeah. and see if you're not hooked on it. Yeah. What you said that yesterday, taste and see that the, yeah. that the Lord is good. And I, I think like James plays off of this saying that God is the giver of all good gifts. Um, even though like God has saved us and redeemed us, he's given us a law to live, but that is not without enjoyment. Right. Uh, yeah. I think it's, 
it's it's not lost to reflect the fact that in God's redemptive narrative, he gave us as men and women to link arms in relationships, in friendships, in marriages, in the covenant of the local church of having each other. There's yeah. relationship. There's He's given us gifts to enjoy. Yeah. Uh, we have an ability as image bearers to reflect his greatness and be little image bearers, little creators ourselves. Like yeah. there's a... There is a creativity and a goodness that is created in God's order that, man, like we, I think, sometimes don't feast in. Exactly. As as Reformed people. Uh, we talk so much about waiting for our feast that is to come when we come to the table each week. And we miss the fact that we get to, like, have some some feasting now. Yeah. In hope and anticipation of knowing we're going to be feasting forever. Yeah. Um, and that's that like Ecclesiastes, like eat and drink and be merry, actually feast in what God is doing and enjoy that in the midst of all the hard and all the ups and downs. But like, we've been given that ability to do that because we're image bearers. Yeah. Because that's baked into the fabric of what God is doing in his redemption and in the creation of us as humans. And if we are the people of God and what with the spirit, if that's here, if that's us, if that's true, if God is working through us. Then people should be able to walk into our community and say, wow, something is different. Something's distinct here. There is something here. Yeah. And so I'm willing to invite people into that. And I want to invite people into that because I believe it's real. Hmm. And I believe that God is active. Yeah. And so that would be my challenge to a non-Christian. Say, like, come on. Hmm. Uh, Bob did a really good job of this in his sermon. He's like, if you're questioning right now. And we want to always have room for people questioning and people doubting and people who don't believe this right now. Yeah. Always have room in our heart for that. Always be willing to want to show them the goodness of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And Bob did a great job of that in his sermon by saying, come on, like, yeah. spend, be with us through Advent up until um, Easter. Yeah. Through Lent to Easter. And just just take yeah. what is in the scale of your life a short amount of time and just go through the rhythms here and yeah. just try to see what we're even talking about. Try to experience Jesus. Try to see his grace. Try to understand his mercy and love and what his people are like and what his body is like and see what that does to you. Yeah. And two, like, hey, Christian, if the law feels confining to you right now, take hope and rejoice in the gospel freedom that you don't have to keep the law in of your own self. Yeah. That, man, you do have the spirit of God that is in you, literally groaning on your behalf when you don't have words. And yeah, and if you feel that way, know that you're not alone. No. I mean I think everyone in the church probably felt this way. Yeah. I I feel this way often. We have this conversation all the time in right. our home. So please don't feel alone. Don't feel like you are uniquely uh struggling with this and that um there's not a bunch of people walking alongside you trying to parse out what it means to be free. But to also feel, but to also be lured in by sin, because yeah. we are we are fallen humans who, and sin is crouching at the door. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's a helpful way to maybe wrap up our our time here, um, and even just to even frame the tone by which we could even go into our Bible study rhythms this week, reminding ourselves of that very thing, um, and an opportunity to rehearse the gospel to one another in our Bible studies, just as we do when we go to the table each week. Yeah. And that's a huge opportunity. Um, 
we've given you, we have some listener questions that are huge. We had a huge sermon this past Sunday. Lots of things to consider. Anthony, any final thoughts for our Bible studies, Bible study leaders this week as they they, uh, approach one another in conversation about the sermon, about the text? The only thing, I think you did a really good job layering all these questions in. So kudos there, love. Um, Taking she a bow. She a little bow here. Cute. Um, the only thing I would say is don't, there's so much content in this. There's so much theology even in this. And mm-hmm. spend time talking about that. I mean, the love of doctrine and theology is it, a helpful thing. Yeah. But let it go deeper. Let it hit your heart. So as we talk about the covenant, that was a great question. How can I make this feel more alive? How can I not just go through scripture and prayer and just, and, and how can I think of the covenant in a more holistic, realized way? So I think of the new, the new, I'm a part of this new covenant of God. Hmm. So talk through that. Talk through this idea of freedom. Hmm. Do you actively feel like you are missing out by following commands of Jesus? Yeah. Talk through that. Yeah. Talk through the hard stuff. So that's just my only thing um, for this sermon questions. There's so much content. Yes, talk about the content. Talk about the heart, too. Yeah. Yeah. And what a gift it is that we, as the covenant people of God, get to partake in God's grace in interacting with each other in our Bible studies, in our homes, in our in our everyday rhythms. Um, don't neglect rejoicing the fact that we, as a collective people of God, can ascend the mountain. We can enter God's presence. We can do it on a Sunday. We can do it in our day-to-day weeks. We can do it individually, but we can do it together, and we're meant to do it together. And that is no small gift of grace in God's arc of redemption that we keep talking about in this series. Um, So with that, guys, uh, man, it's been fun. Uh, You're welcome for the window into our home conversations. They're not always like this, but we do have a lot of these conversations in in our house um, and have a lot of fun uh, debating about all of these good questions that you guys have had uh, for today. Um, But Anthony, thanks for joining us again on the B-Side podcast. Absolutely. Glad to be here. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, thanks again for listening to the B-Side podcast. Tune in again next week for another Sermon B-Side podcast. We hope you guys have a great rest of your week. Thank you for listening to the Sermon B-Side podcast. For more resources, information about our church, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org.